I'm Maureen Atura, and you're listening to the Positive Fantastic Podcast. My guest today, Tanya Stiller, is part of a collective to support the oceans and particularly the intertidal zones of the Northern California coastline. Tanya and I met many years ago at the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium. At that event, there is a marketplace where women bring different herbal concoctions that they have prepared to barter or sell amongst their peers. Living in an organic and biodynamic winery, I would always bring some fry wine with me to trade. And Tanya always had some some delicious bitters that she would bring that she had prepared. In addition to loving digestive bitters myself, I was always impressed with the variety of flavors that Tanya had created. So for many years, we got to know each other trading wine for bitters until I had quite a collection of tasty digestives. In all my years of studying herbalism and homesteading and other rootsy, as can be, crafts, I never got around to learning about seaweed harvesting. I had the desire absolutely as someone who adores the ocean. But for one reason or another, whether it was my parenting years or it seemed like the best practice was to not harvest seaweed, I didn't get to know my local seaweed scene. Fast forward to 2022 and the more formal return of gathering and workshops post-COVID. Tanya posted that she was holding a seaweeding workshop. I was actually in the airport scrolling my feed when I was stopped in my tracks. I got an enormous yes. It was finally time for me to learn about seaweeds and so I signed up on the spot. Then, at a negative tide, That's when the tide is really low. Over the summer, we all gathered on the Mendocino coast to camp, learn, and tend the coastal zone. It was a magical time, and we'll discuss more of the happenings of the workshop in the podcast, but suffice to say that I was so thrilled to finally meet the seaweeds where they live that I asked Tanya to share more about them and how we can be better coastal stewards on this podcast. In addition to getting to harvest, eat, and tend the seaweeds on the Mendocino coast that weekend, Tanya and I went on a hike with some of the other seaweed folks. We had the incredible pleasure of getting to see whales spouting off the coast while we were harvesting sea salt from little depressions on the coastline. In other words, we dropped in really deeply. I hope that you'll enjoy this podcast about one of the most amazing subjects on the planet, seaweed. And to start off the podcast, here's a song from Alice DiMaselli called One With The Tide. Life is a river, paddle it down and Try to avoid the big holes But sometimes she takes you just to toss you around If there's a reason, well, nobody knows, nobody knows Nobody knows While you are out there, watch out for your friends Cause sometimes we all need a hand And nobody truly ever makes it alone Through the hard times, together we stand Together we stand Together we stand down to the mouth of the stream you can hear those waves roaring outside you're close to the place where we all find peace where we become one with the tide one with the tide one with the tide the tide we all go where that river will flow one with the tide we are pulled by the moon seduced by her too one with the tide comes a time when there's no place to hide 
become one with the takes you just to toss you around if there's a reason well nobody knows if there's a reason well nobody knows if there's a reason well nobody knows I'm hanging out today with Tanya Stiller in Oakland, California, and we're going to be talking about seaweed. <laughs> Yay, <Woo>! seaweed! <laughs> we met, I don't know how long ago, a decade is my guess? At least, Something yeah. in that range. And we were at the Herbal Symposium, and I remember you brought all these delicious bitters. You had like a flight of bitters. Not just one flavor, but like many flavors. <laughs> 16 or 17. And I was like, who are you? I want to try all your bitters. So over the years, I would bring wine and we would do a wine and bitters trade and so each time we'd kind of talk shop and <laughs> get to know each other better so definitely yeah the the, the bitters and and wine exchange mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then this last year I actually got to go to one of your seaweeding workshops and so then that was really really awesome and it inspired me to want to talk to you today so we're going to get to do all the seaweedy talk today wonderful How you came to become a seaweed harvester and a, a title tender is a really sweet story. Do you want to share about how the lineage was passed on to you? Yeah, of course. Well, in the 90s, the 1990s, <laughs> I was living in Eugene, Oregon. I was volunteering at a natural foods co-op. Like you do like in the 90s in Oregon. Like we in do Oregon. in the 90s in Oregon, <laughs> right? Yes, this was in Oregon. And um, there was this older lady, when I say older, I'm talking about 80s. I, I would say she was in at least her upper 70s, if not 80s, mm -hmm. with snow white hair and a complete hunchback. And she was also volunteering at the co-op and she Whoa. would often flirt with me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. One time I had... I had moved there with no automobile. I had just had bicycles. And that's one of the reasons I was attracted to Eugene um, as a student there is because they had amazing bike lanes. Very bikeable. It yeah. is. Very bikeable city. And uh, But then I came back with a Volkswagen van. And uh, one day at the co-op, Millie came up to me and she says, you have a van. I said, yep. She's like, I say. You come and pick me up at my house and take me to the ocean, and I will teach you about seaweeds. And I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And so, so seaweeds found you. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. And so we went to the ocean, and she taught me all I know. We went wow. out to the shore, and she showed me all the different seaweeds. Yeah, it was really, really cool. So awesome. Yep. I still love going back to that place. I bet, yeah. Well, it's the site Coast. of your transmission, your seaweed cosmogony. <laughs> yes, indeed. So the workshop that I took with you last summer and the workshops that you teach are part of a nonprofit organization called Healing Tide. And Healing Tide is just what the name says. It's about healing the intertidal zones. Absolutely, yeah. Um, my kind of like business partner, Ayako Nagano, uh, she actually started a nonprofit and um, gave it to me. And I was like, yes, this is great. This is mm. a really good way to share this uh, ocean ecosystem with other people. And I did have to think about it 
because I've never run a nonprofit before and mostly have been like a school teacher, like a garden school teacher working Mm -hmm. for unified school districts in the public school system. It is a a learning curve for sure, Mm -hmm. but I have a lot of gratitude for being able to do this work. And it is definitely a big love of mine to spend time in the intertidal zone Mm -hmm. um, and exploring the seaweeds and sharing that with other people. So I really like doing seaweed camping trips, but through Healing Tide, we also offer like two to three hour seaweed, you know, like sustainable seaweed foraging trips down by Half Moon Bay, Mm -hmm. even in the bay, like along Berkeley, Albany areas. And then I was at the Albany Bulb yesterday and all the fucus puffs were out. (laughs) Yes, they're very, very, this time of year, they're very like puffy and puffy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do really well in, in like the bay because it's the, the wave action is lower. Mm -hmm. And then I like to do trips down in San Mateo County, like south of San Francisco, and also up in Mendocino. Mendocino is is just spectacularly beautiful, as is Humboldt. And I really like to offer a really like science forward kind of, you know, curriculum of really doing different types of seaweed identification, uh, any type. But in particular, the the larger ones that are easier to gather and harvest and make things with. So that can be food. Everyone likes food. Everyone likes food. This is very true. Uh So I also like to teach how to cook the food because there are some people that are really into foraging, but then they're not really sure what to do with what they forage. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I want to teach people some different uh, recipe ideas of what you can cook and, and make with this. And then I also really like doing the seaweed spa. Totally. You know, it's yeah. It's really good. <laughs> Get your Turkish towel out. And you yeah. had, I think you had a, uh, a Turkish towel hair rinse we did too, even. And yeah. It just feels so, so good fun. if you put it on the bath or in your hair. Like it just silky smooth. Yeah. Yeah. On the body. Just very, very nurturing. It's actually antiviral too. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of the red seaweeds, like the Turkish towel and Turkish washcloth and, and the iridias. And they're also very, very medicinal. So mm-hmm. I would really like to break it down and offer um, a lot of the, the benefits of seaweeds and also give a larger story of what's happening with the kelp ecosystem and how indigenous people, primarily where like the Coast Pomo or the Ramatush in these two sites areas, how they've been using these seaweeds and and I actually a part of my classes is to offer free tuition for for folks native to those coastal regions. Awesome. So I think it's really important to to do that. Yeah, and it is a mini tiered approach because they are these diverse creatures. You know, seaweeds are are so many things to us. They really are. It's really neat how how they are in how they reproduce and sporulate and so finding the right season to harvest them and paying attention to, you know, where they're growing and how they're growing and how prolific or not their different populations are mm-hmm. in, in any given site. And of course, the legalities with the Department of Fish and Wildlife and making sure you have the right license, whether it's a fishing license or a commercial kelp harvesters permit. Right. So there's, there's a lot of things to think about. And, um, and I really like kind of giving people the, the, the larger experience in a, in a, you know, at a campground through that experience, um, or if people just want a small little bite, you know, from a, from a smaller workshop. Totally. So today's PSA is about the upcoming workshops and things that you have going on with Healing Tide in 2023. In addition to the workshops that you have where you go out and go camping, you have some smaller venues and things and take out private groups and sometimes classes or college classes or elementary school classes, or you do a lot of different things. So people can find your website. Yes. www.healingtide.org because it's a nonprofit. So, and there's a lot of people try to add an S on to make it Healing Tides. It's, there's no S, it's just Tide. Nice. 
org. Yes. And you have an email list that people can join and they can sign up so that they'll get information about your upcoming offerings. And then you also have two camping trips planned. One May 12th to the 21st in Loma Mar, San Mateo County. And another one June 2nd to the 4th in Mendocino County. Exactly. Exactly. So people really want to get hands-on experience of what it's like to forage, to know for me, this was the thing because I know my seaweeds, but I don't know how to harvest them. So I wanted to take your workshop so that I could get, you know, the intricate in about each different seaweed, what to do, how to assess, when is the good time to harvest, things like that. So it's really nice to get out in the field and have a sense of, okay, here you are. This is where you're going to cut. You know, this is what you're not going to cut. This is how much you're going to cut. All those things so that you're sustainably harvesting, which exactly. is so important to any forager's morality. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Every forager wants to do sustainably so that way they can come back <laughs> totally. and it'll be there. It's part of stewarding a particular area. And in our class in Mendocino, we also go to a particular like shoreline beach area where we harvest the sea urchins, the purple sea urchins, where there have been urchin barrens and where they've eaten all of the seaweed. And that's part of our kelp restoration project. And we've been doing that for I think about four or five years now. And then we get to take those urchins back to camp and crack them open and scoop out the, you know, the gonads, the uni from there and it's make the sex uni butter. Yeah. <laughs> it is so delicious too. <laughs> it was super delicious. Yes. Yeah, I, it was fun because while we were out there on, on our camping trip, I found like a abalone shell prying tool. And I was like, what's this? I was like, a gift from the ocean. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's trash. I'll take it with me. Not knowing that just a little bit later that day, I was going to be using it super effectively to pry the urchins off. And I was so stoked. I was like, you really hooked me up, universe. <laughs> and then I ended up having to take home all the all the shells. So I'm in the process of having an experimental compost with the, the uni. So they're going back to the earth in a good way from that last workshop. Yeah. And that's what we do with them. We take yeah. the shells and put them in big compost piles. We did that um, a few times at Fortunate Farms in Mendocino, yeah. near Casper. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, um, and we all hope to do that again. Yeah. So it'll be great. And you got a lot this year. I got a lot. I got like... <laughs> I don't uh, Five bucks. 20 pounds, yeah. <laughs> 20 <laughs> gallons, rather, 20 gallons. So, yeah, so those are the upcoming workshops. And I really encourage people that want to get their hands on seaweed experience to, to go out with you and to, to get to have some foraging fun. Yes. And if people want to find out, you should definitely go to the website, sign up on the mailing list. And then I don't send a ton of emails, I send like maybe six a year. So I'll be sending one out, another one soon, um, to tell folks what's available. And you can request the list of negative tides for 2023. Right, um, because you need to go out when it's really low. Yes, so yes. That so that the seaweeds are accessible. Yes, unless you want to go swimming. And we, I want to make everything visible to people yeah. and so they can feel safe. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to do that. And then we can go out during the negative tide when the ocean is farther out and the intertidal zone is exposed. And we can really enjoy, you know, our time and space in those few hours yeah. seeing everything. But, um, yeah, I like to do private groups. And if you, you know, have a, have a, a crew of people that you want to come out or, you know, your teacher with a classroom of students that has a a water or seashore or oceanography or whatever you might want to study with me I would love that awesome one of the things that I learned at your workshop that I didn't know that was very impressive to me was the incredible carbon sequestration power of seaweeds I know we all attribute plants to, uh, or we all attribute the quality of sequestering carbon to plants, but um, seaweeds actually have a phenomenal role to play. Yeah, they actually sequester probably more carbon than most plants. The kelps, 
especially the giant kelp and the bullwhip kelp, uh, macrocystis or neurocystis, they can grow up to a foot a day. What? <laughs> yes. So, and eager, I don't, I don't even grow. know if that's like, that might be mild. They might grow more than that in a day. On a Sunday. That's like an average. June day. Yeah, yeah. Wow. On a long day of the year, right? Right. Solstice, so, summer solstice. Yes. And they they just are huge, right? And yes. they um if they are harvested within the top three feet where they would be below water, because these these kelps aren't just within the inner tidal, they're in the subtidal region where they're anchors their holdfasts are much further out mm-hmm. and they are so much bigger and longer than holdfast is a fancy term for where you hold on to the rock right where, where the seaweeds yes. attached yeah. yes because they're not plants yeah seaweeds are in the protista kingdom and they don't have roots they have a holdfast so mm-hmm. that's why i said an anchor because it's yeah that's what the holdfast does is it anchors them to a place and it doesn't act like a root. It doesn't absorb the nutrients from, you know, the soil or water, you know, from the soil because, well, it's not in the soil. It's in the ocean. Yeah. And all parts of the seaweed absorb everything they need from their environment. Every cell, no matter where it is, on its the surface of its body, mm-hmm. you know. So it has a holdfast that anchors it to the rock and then... Up from that is the stipe and then the blades, which people think of as leaves. You know, and they think of a stem like a like a stipe. So as they relate them to plant terminology, but they are in fact in a different kingdom. We're just like terrestrial analogies is what we got to work with. But yeah, yes. but you would never want to harvest the hold fast. Because that's even though it's just the anchor, it's like what's creating a viable ecosystem for that seaweed to stay there. Absolutely. Yes. And so when harvesting, of course, you know, sustainably or any, any kind of way, you always want to leave the hold fast. Of course, I think there are times where people might want seaweeds for their garden as, as a compost material, as a, I don't know if green manure isn't quite the right word, but as a fertilizer. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a, yeah, a natural fertilizer. And you can collect seaweed that has washed up. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to collect a ton of that because that also is its own ecosystem for sand fleas and microbes and stuff that can actually tolerate a super salty saline environment. Yeah, I just love seeing the seaweeds, the, the big ones. They can be harvested from the surface of the ocean to about three feet, you know, or like a meter below. And they will... That actually, that will proliferate their growth if you're harvesting, mm. you know, the top portions mm-hmm. because they'll want to, that's where it they stimulates can. stimulates it. Yeah, it stimulates yeah. it because sunlight can only penetrate through the ocean a certain depth. And so to have the seaweeds that kind of like float on the top, you can kind of tell because they have like little floating bladders, whether it's the, the bullwhip, which has the big one bulb, or the the giant kelp has like a bunch of smaller bulbs. And there's other seaweeds, not just those two that have bladders on them, but those bladders like give them buoyancy. To like flotation devices, yeah. Exactly, exactly. They are flotation devices to help hold them up to where they can get the sunlight that they need to do this amazing work. Mm-hmm. So on an environmental level, they're extremely important. And they have, over the last decade, we've had a kelp forest collapse, particularly in the Sonoma and Mendocino County area. Right, right. And so just this last year, um, 2022, the Department of Fish and Wildlife has made harvesting bullwhip kelp uh, like they put a moratorium on it. So it's illegal to harvest it from Sonoma and Mendocino counties. Um, and then they put a different, I think they have like an 8,000 pound limit in Humboldt and Del Norte counties. Um, 
and and it just grows north. So California is divided uh, where the giant kelp grows south and then the bullwhip kelp grows north. And so it's just the bullwhip kelp that uh, forest that is affected, not the not the forests that are in you know south, south of that mm-hmm. south of south of the bay. For thousands of years, the indigenous people were meticulously tending the tidal zone, the forest, the landscape, and were you know in such a intimate relationship that there was incredible abundance. Like I remember the first time I read Tending the Wild, and I was just like, we had a paradise here in California of salmon and clear waters and beauty and grizzly uh, bears, food and everything. predators, the whole thing, like in a really beautiful equilibrium. Yes. Enter immigration, enter genocide, enter problematic pieces and people who didn't know the place, people right. who didn't have the same invested interest in protecting the resources, didn't have the the background about how important the balance was either because they were in immigration situations. Often they were just kind of in a survival mechanism. Right. So we had like the Russian fur traders came in and really started taking out the otters. And this story started to unfold that created a shift. And we went from, you know, a homeostasis of sorts of like equilibrium and balanced and tending the wild actively to extractive, resourceive, consumptive, modern malaise. <laughs> Yay and boo. Right, right. And <laughs> like, problematic and yeah. hard. So one of the things that's happened, unfortunately, is that the kelp forest collapsed. And that story is multifaceted. And yes. you're part of the healing tide is part of kind of bringing more awareness to that. And Absolutely. also what's happened, where we're at, and how we can continue to contribute to bringing back ourselves in a, in a relationship with nature that's meaningful, that's sustainable, that, you know, that's making an offering. Like, I remember when we went to harvest seaweed, you made an offering before we even got in the water. And I think that that, that piece is starting to bring a full circle to the story of how can we be here healthfully, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The, I would say kind of in the last decade with, you know, I think scientists have basically found out the reason this is happening is actually because the ocean is warmed. Yeah. It's warmed up of like two degrees, which might not seem like a lot, but on an entire like ocean environment, which our planet is more ocean than it is like. It's mostly ocean. Yeah. Land. Yeah. So Yeah two degrees is a lot. Yeah. And it just has caused a domino effect of affecting the sea stars with sea star melting disorder, which in turn, they are like the largest predator to the, to the urchins. Sea stars? Oh, to urchins. The sea stars. (laughs) The sea stars were the, yeah, our predators Uh uh (laughs) to the urchins. Exactly. They seem so passive whenever I'm hanging out with them, but they're just like... Hooked onto a rock. Stuck onto a rock, <laughs> and you can't tell that they actually eat urchins. <laughs> I didn't know their intimate life story as murderers. Yeah, <laughs> but yes. in balance. But yes, yes. And, and so they went away, and then the urchins took over. Yes, exactly. The sea stars, like, and the, some sea stars are coming back too, which is great. I've definitely actually seen a lot of things rebounding. I'm seeing the bullwhip kelp forest coming back. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing sea or not the i am seeing sea stars like particularly the ochre stars the like orange and purple ones that are kind of like warty and pretty Mm -hmm. um i haven't seen because i don't dive but i haven't seen like the sunshine stars the really big ones that are in the deeper water i haven't seen them um but they were they would eat the urchins and then because they went away for a period of time the urchin population just boomed because it's like that's what happens in any kind of food web where yeah. the predator is taken out, the prey or the other living things in that web yeah, yeah. would would their populations would get really big. So same things happen with, you know, like wolves and deer or cougars and deer totally. and you know, that sort of thing. So but in this environment, we have a ton of urchins and nothing to eat them. And 
And that actually does tie into the Russian fur traders and the sea otters because sea otters also ate a lot of urchins. Mm. And they do, but they're just, there aren't populations. There's not large enough populations in so Sonoma and Mendocino County. Right. Exactly. So so the sea stars are, were, have been the main predator for the last hundred plus years mm -hmm. since the sea stars, or I mean, since the sea otters are no longer in that part of the coast. Mm -hmm. And this has, you know, uh, caused a ripple effect that has been unknown what will happen. But I am very hopeful, you know, with our urchin harvesting that we do as part of our kelp, you know, um, habitat restoration that we do with Healing Tide on, on these trips. Um, and I see other people doing that. I know some different totally. diving organizations do it as well and i think I when we were out there it. noyo the noyo um forest or the noyo ocean center was out there too and they were they were assessing more but we were like yeah we're taking them they're like awesome yeah <laughs> get them you know? yeah and we've been going to the same beach you know for like five years or so and i can definitely see from when we went like five years ago how many there were to now there are way fewer mm. urchins so we are having an impact, right. even if we're only doing it one or two or three times a year, mm -hmm. there is some kind of impact that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of hope around the kelp forests coming back. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm already seeing them like off of Van Dam, like I'm seeing the, the flotations. <laughs> the bobs the are out there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the kelp forest itself as a forest, is a hugely diverse ecosystem and it like is. one of the treasure troves of, of Northern California. It is. It definitely is. All the little nudibranchs and everybody sea slugs yeah. and all the different fish and actually birds. People don't talk about mm -hmm. how dependent so many seabirds are on that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yes. At all layers, right? It's like they're at the top, they're at the canopy. <laughs> but then <laughs> totally. it's like all, all in the kelp forest, there's uh there's a bit of cover you know so things can it hide is. things can be protected there can be babies and nurseries and pretty cool and that brings me to thinking about another critter that we got to see at the trip that you came on yeah we walked out on the beach and what did we see it's like this amazing octopus up out of the tide pool tentacle walking across the beach and like down, down into the tide pools and then it squeezed through a rock and popped out another area and then went under a rock and tentacled up a bit and cruised. I mean, we were all just awestruck. Yeah, definitely. Yep. I think I need to download the video that I took. <laughs> I was so <laughs> in awe that I didn't even get my camera out. I was just like, oh my goodness, you're here <laughs> because I love I love octopus so much, but I also have only seen them very rarely in the wild. Mm. So, and usually they're not quite so showy. This one was really like walking it, strutting, you know, it was strutting for us. It so. was really cool to watch too, watching it breathe, like how it sucks mm -hmm. in the water and then it would squirt it out. Like yeah, it's yeah. little, I don't know if they're called gills. Vent gills. Yeah. Vents. Okay. Something. Off I don't the know. Side, these little holes that they have like oh, yeah. on the sides of their bulbous heads. Yes. Yes. <laughs> totally. Was, they were, it was like such an incredible experience and we were all awestruck, just like frozen in like. The magic of the, it. Yes. It was completely magical. It was yeah. very special. It seemed like regenerative in the sense that you've been going out there for a while. And I know a lot of my other friends are, are seaweed harvesters and they're like, it hasn't been this good in a while. Like it's starting to really rebuild itself. So things it are is. changing. The tide is. is changing as it were. The tide is changing. It's healing tide. In addition to all the really amazing ecological benefits of tending the tidal zones and being part of the seaweed world is reaping the benefits of having sustainably harvested and getting to make medicine and make yummy food from the seaweeds. What do you want to talk about your favorite seaweed medicine and mm. dishes? You made a delicious uh, sea palm faux pasta. Yeah, and fettuccine. 
It's yes. like a pumpkin seed cilantro pesto. It was super yum. And roasted cauliflower. Yes. It was yes, so roasted good. cauliflower. Did you even say that it tasted seaweedy? No. It didn't, did it? No. No. It didn't. No. And I actually like the taste of seaweed, but it, it wasn't like fishy or all. salty or it was it was like a very good like pasta. pasta. Yeah. <laughs> pasta replacement. You made a wakame salad. Mm-hmm. It was super like tasty salad. too. Mm-hmm. Seaweed salad. And and then I just I remember eating pickled things <laughs> the entire weekend, which is my happy place. So Yeah. I didn't even know you. I mean, I put a little strand of seaweed in my different ferments over the years, but I was like just straight seaweed ferments. It was like my mind opened to a new genre of awesome. Yeah. And actually just in the last three years, my favorite seaweed has become bladderwrack, mm-hmm. which I've just really enjoyed harvesting it because it can be really puffy or it can be really flat. And when it's really puffy, I find that if I if I harvest the tips and put them in my dehydrator, they stay puffy. And they're the best puffs I've ever had. They're nature puffs. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and like they don't need anything. They're great plain. Totally. But I tried all sorts of because I noticed how there's so many like seaweed snacks and a lot of them are yeah. like teriyaki or like barbecue Flavors. or yeah. like yeah, all these different wasabi or <laughs> different different often like Asian kind of spiciness. And so I actually just tried to make one. Um, I tried to make like a cheesy one with a, like a nutritional yeast. Eh, you know, the one that was really good was with smoked paprika mm. and garlic powder. Mm. And it did taste like a barbecue. Barbecue so, puff. <laughs> like barbecue seed puffs. Yes. Nice. So I've nicknamed Bladderack because I don't think it's a super cute name to see puffs <laughs> and fucus is it's you know also a little genus and little kind of like also just doesn't sound super yummy <laughs> but sea puffs people think, like you put it in your mouth fucus <laughs> right almost exactly. exciting <laughs> it's kind of like mucus yeah you got to be in the right mood <laughs> right right and it would be like mucus if it was fresh but right. when they're dried they're crunchy little dry puffs. They are. I mean, I'd say like, uh, you know, any other puff I've ever had doesn't even, it's just like pales in comparison. They're right. the OG. They're the original. <laughs> <laughs> they are. And so, yeah, I just really like the sea puffs because it, it is sort of like a chip, mm-hmm. you know, and you could have like a little bowl full of them. Crunchy, and, salty. It's got mm-hmm. cornered. Yeah, it is. It is. It's It's perfect. And if you actually have like, a handful of them, like three to five grams, mm-hmm. that actually is enough to regulate your thyroid gland if you have mm. hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. So bladderwrack, fucus, or the sea puffs, um, as I like to call them, have the highest amount of iodine as any of the seaweeds. A lot of the seaweeds have iodine in them, so they're very, very useful for thyroid mm-hmm. issues, mm-hmm. but the bladderwrack is by far the highest. And I've also made a bladderwrack tincture, a little strange, you know, the mm-hmm. flavor of like salty ocean alcohol. <laughs> you got to get pirate to dig it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. You have to, you know, find a way to, to ingest it. Okay. I mean, there's definitely more bitter herbs being someone who makes bitters. Yeah. It's not a, a bitter principle by any means, but it, but it is kind of a strange one as a tincture. So I definitely appreciate bladderwrack as being that kind of like queen of the thyroid. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just one of those things. Yeah. Three to five grams will like, you don't have to be on like level thyroxine or any other kind of like thyroid medication. Not that I would just recommend somebody like getting off any kind of right talk to your doctor yeah <laughs> exactly talk to your doctor exactly well, yeah, no it's a powerful medicine it really point. is yeah it really is some of my other favorite like medicinal are kombu or mm-hmm. the laminarias and we have a few different kinds of laminarias and there's some kinds are more popular on different areas of the beach than, than other types and my understanding is that the the more like thinner one is also similar to our like nori snacks. They're sprinkled with seasonings and stuff and are snacks in, in like Japan. Mm-hmm. So 
Whereas the nori kind of like those sheet snacks are popular, not just in Japan, but in like Korea and China and other places where they have seaweed farms where they actually grow nori on farms. Yeah, yeah. And, but the, but this uh, laminari, this kombu is also like a thinner variety. So it makes it easier to like bite into and crunch. Mm -hmm. Whereas some of the kombus, when they're dry, they're, they would be too hard to bite through. They're really thick and they are used to make like dashi broth. Um, right. for soups for like miso and things like that you cook them down for a while yeah to you extract do. the medicine yeah. exactly exactly the seaweeds are classified by their color so there's brown seaweeds red seaweeds and green seaweeds sea lettuce is a green seaweed and it's it's not the only green seaweed but it's the one that's most prominent that we will see is a ova species or, or sea lettuce and um that one is is the one that's has the strongest antiviral um, compounds. And I really like it for the color to add it to seaweed salads as well. Bright green. It is. It's bright green. Yeah. Exactly. And then the red seaweeds, um, actually nori is considered a red seaweed. And I think I mentioned a few others earlier, like Turkish towel, Turkish mm -hmm. washcloth, yeah. iridia. My favorite bath toy ever. And, and dolls is yeah. in there and too, yeah. which is um, sea bacon. <laughs> Tastes so delicious. And it doesn't like usually get as crispy it kind of stays pliable mm, um, mm -hmm. when it's dry nice. unlike most of the other seeds become more like rigid yeah but the red ones are tend to be high in like agar so they're used for emulsifying things seaweeds have just been used industrial you know in cosmetics in beer in ice cream in so many different kinds of uh, not just food things, but, you know, in Petri dishes for, for medicine, for all mm -hmm. sorts of right, uses. Agar yeah, in yeah, in, yeah. In, in adhesives and all sorts of things on like an industrial level as well. So, so that, that that's, that's another very like popular way for using the seaweeds. Just in Bali and mm. they had an island that I visited, Nusa Lembongan, it was really prolific and uh cultivating seaweed like we kept driving by on our little scooter rides around the island these massive plantations of of seaweed cultivation and do you um, know what kind it, they called it sea moss okay and uh it's a red seaweed it was green <laughs> so in maybe color. it was in color yeah exactly okay maybe it's a, <laughs> this is the thing that was tricky Classified. at the workshop is like there's the the color and then there's the actual color but they had these guys go by with this like a large uh, boat full of seaweed and it would just be two guys paddling this boat by you know or a little motor and full of seaweed you know and it was really cool to see and there were just little patches drying on the on the shorelines here and there and that brings me so much joy hearing I that know, story I'm so happy <laughs> this summer I went to Norway right and I um went to this island I think they called it Sula that my cousins my cousins took me there so three of the cousins are like my cousins and then one of them is like my dad's cousin okay. so um he's older and his wife grew up on this island and we went out there and we took the ferry and everything and it's like so far out there and so isolated mm. and he and his wife don't speak English as well as as my uh, my other three, the younger cousins, the yeah. younger cousins, yeah. exactly. And so, anyways, the, his wife though showed me a slide because you know pre photography they did they took pictures and they were on slides. Yeah. So she showed me a slide and it was a boat and it was mounded with seaweeds and she and she used the I forget she used the nor I po, 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 Bob, I can't remember what she said. There was like, a, there's a couple different words for seaweed uh -huh, in uh -huh. Norwegian. And she was like, that's what this is, tong. That's what it was. She's like, okay. she's like, that's tong. She's like, that's tong, that's seaweed. And like before this trip, they didn't know that I was, that I was like a, a seaweed forager. Yeah. <laughs> and that was something that they both did. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because he- It's in your roots. Yes, yes. Because he was a baker and then he found out but he would start sneezing and he was allergic to being a baker. Mm -hmm. And so he had to find something else to do. And so kind of in the interim, they were seaweed foragers. Nice. <laughs> and she that's was like, awesome. that's a lot of hard work. But this was like on the industrial side, you know, yeah, yeah. of like mass amounts of 
foraging. And it was really cool to see the 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 fucus species. Their bladder rock looks really different. So it was really international fun. seaweed tours next. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. I really want to go to Japan. <laughs> yeah. Really. They they've got it dialed in there. They do. They do. One of the things that a lot of people have been concerned about since Fukushima is the radiation in the world. And one of the things that seaweed does actually is help detoxify radiation. So it's yeah. like a kind of amazing thing that it's it's there and it that's one of its superpowers. Absolutely. Seaweeds are able to, yeah, remove a lot of toxins from the tissues. And uh, this is specifically in the brown seaweeds. Mm -hmm. They have something called algenic acid. And the algenic acid, I think it was McGill University out of Canada, uh, or actually, they're, yeah, they're from Montreal, uh, McGill is. They found that algenic acid, which is a polysaccharide, is able to, to combat radiation poisoning and reduce the amount of strontium-90 absorbed through the intestinal wall. And so it's basically able to bind to radioactive isotopes and heavy metals and yeah, chelate them out of the body. So that kind of actually is part of the story that brought Ayako and myself together mm. is we, we've been friends, but it was when I was just like, hey, I'm going to go for a scout. Anybody want to go with me? And she and her son came and she told me that she had stopped eating seaweed. And I was like, what? And, she, and it was, I think it was a very harmful cultural thing because I think there was a part of her family that was like, well, you're not Japanese if you don't eat seaweed, mm. which is, you can't take away somebody's identity, right? right. you know, um, because you're concerned about environmental, environmental impacts. toxins. Right. Yeah, totally. exactly. But I taught her about algenic acid and how it chelates and how important it is to actually eat seeds. It's like, actually, you do need to eat seaweeds. You know, like you don't actually need to worry about them having, you know, not, not that you would want to go and eat a lot of radioactive seaweed by any means. Right. Um, Source and location are always key. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And like, if there was a small amount in there and you were eating it, you know, and you'd been eating seaweeds regularly, your body would, would be flush with the good stuff. And, you know, but, but the truth is, is there's nothing in our digestive system, hydrochloric acid, any kind of enzymes, nothing can break that bond between algenic acid and like the heavy metals or radioactive isotopes. Nothing can do that. And because of that, it's so healing because mm -hmm. that would just pass through. Mm -hmm. And, and amazing. And yeah, and in polysaccharides in general, there, I should I should preface to say that they can be hard to digest, not just because they're bound to <laughs> to like toxins or something, but just in general because our digestive systems take time to like build up those enzymes. So when somebody's learning to eat seaweed, go slow, yeah. add a little bit at a time. You know, sometimes if people like all of a sudden they're like, ooh, all of a sudden they have a lot of seaweed, and they go eat it. They might you know have like a stomach ache or something like that. I mean, they're not going to get really, really sick, but it might Impromptu be a little cleanse. uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> might be a little uncomfortable. Well, another way that um, you can ingest it is through your skin in a bath, right? Absolutely. Which is like the glory of seaweed is that you can become a mermaid in your own home. <laughs> Absolutely. You can definitely do seaweed spa baths and salt. You know, you can mm -hmm. use different kinds of salt and Epsom salts and things like that and, and baking soda. Those different things, if if you have an exposure, whether it's from an X-ray or the sun, <laughs> also is radiation. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you can hop in a bath of with like kombu or some other kind of like brown seaweed, and that will absorb through your skin and help. The biggest organ we have. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Awesome. Very very healing, and they and it's very it just feels so good on the skin. It's the best. It's I used so to get soothing. Turkish towel, like bags of Turkish towels. I, I would get from my friends who are seaweed harvesters, and then I would give them to every child I know because it was like the best bath toy ever. And because I was like, you know, for hours, <laughs> just go into town on this Turkish towel. 
fascinated by it and and adults too. I say kids like loosely because I feel like I have a lot of big kid friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. But one of, one of the really cool things about Turkish towels is when you harvest it, mm-hmm. you, you cut across, there's that opening. And so, you know, you've dried it. And then when you put it in the bath, it actually, like where that cut was, it kind of opens up yeah. and you can yeah. slide your hand in totally. and basically use it like a mitt. Totally. It's really cool hand or other things yes <laughs> awesome <Extra Musa. laughs> yeah. well thank you so much tanya for sharing about the wonderful world of seaweeds i i'm really excited about seaweeds being part of the global solution you know that every, it's it's something that almost all over the world there's different seaweeds that are going to be part of the solution as we move forward and we evolve and we make better choices for ourselves about how to sustain ecosystems and forage responsibly and tend and cultivate and all the things seaweeds like going to be one of our harbingers of a future way of goodness so yes. thank you for thank you, being Lori. part of that and sharing <laughs> about it and for educating people and it's good it's, stuff it is it is our our uh, delicious future. It's our delicious future. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Positive Fantastic Podcast. I'm Maureen Atura, and you can reach me by checking out my website, www.maureenatura.com. You can read about upcoming author events or sign up for my email list to stay up to date with the content that I create. If you go to www.maureenatura.com slash thepositivefantastic, you can link directly to any of the podcast episodes that have already been published and see short summaries describing each episode. I'm on social media and you can follow me on Facebook on my page Morinatura Author. You can follow me on Instagram at Author Morinatura. You can also follow my TikTok handle at Morinatura. Check out my channel at youtube.com slash Morinatura to see a video of Tanya discussing title zone stewardship and education in a beautiful video made by Jude Clarkson. You can learn more about Tanya's Healing Tide offerings at www.healingtide.org. You can follow Tanya on Facebook and Instagram at Healing Tide. Special appreciation to Alice DiMaselli for her song, One with the Tide, at the beginning of this episode. For more about Alice's music, you can visit www.alicedimaselli.com. This episode of The Positive Fantastic has been brought to you on the spring equinox, and I hope you'll join us on Earth Day for an interview with Julie Rothman of Flower Power Herbals. Cheers, and may your journeying to support Mama Ocean be fantastic.